Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. I'm recording this intro on November 3rd, Tuesday, Election Day 2020. So by the time you all hear this, the outcome, most likely for the next four years, will have been determined and publicized. So I don't know what that's going to be right now. But I do know that we're in a very trying time right now for our country and our culture and our society. And I fully, fully, fully believe that the only way we are going to forge forward as a collective community is to really find understanding between people about our real, lived, human experiences. And so I 
I think there's no better guest than we could have today than Ray Christian, who does just that through live storytelling. So I first heard about Ray from my Google Alerts. I have Google Alerts set up for all kinds of things that that I I do for work, that I'm interested in, and uh, obviously in the storytelling space I have a few. So Ray recently got the Fulbright Award, a scholarship, for storytelling. And so when I saw that, because it popped up all over the, the, the newswire that day, I looked looked him up, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, who's this guy? Oh, he's from North Carolina, he lives in Boone. Oh, we've got like a lot of mutual friends together. Oh, his first live storytelling event, the first person to take a chance on him and let him tell a story in person was Kevin Allison, a recent guest on, on the Storytelling Lab who hosts the show Risk. So, mm, look at that, the storytelling world coming together and all these organic connections happening. That's what I love about storytelling. That's what I love about community. That's what I love about the world. A lot of parallels here, folks. I'm laying them out for you. So I talked to Ray, and I had to have him on uh, to learn about his journey through live storytelling, through through telling his unique stories. And boy, they are unique because this guy has an incredible background, an incredible history. He has lived an incredible life. Okay, from from growing up uh, in in a rough neighborhood in Richmond or around Richmond to you know years and years in in the uh, in the military. Now he lives in the mountains of North Carolina, and on his podcast, "What's Ray Saying?" he talks about the his real lived human experiences as a black man, and hopes to answer some of the questions that people have break down some of the stereotypes that people have have created or or been programmed to believe and really just share his authentic stories and he's a powerful impactful storyteller and in just seven years of doing this because he lived a whole life before he decided to start sharing his stories publicly and and since he's done that he's won uh he's told several stories on on all different uh, storytelling platforms, The Moth, At Risk, as I've already said, uh, and multiple others. And he's won storytelling competitions. And he's also an educator. He teaches storytelling. He teaches people how to use storytelling to move forward in the world. And, and, and in fact, uh, I see this more and more lately where people are using storytelling in their curriculum in in academia and i think that is so powerful because i know that's the way that one we can get information across two we can reach understanding and communicate information and three we can move forward collectively this is the only way that we can do it and we tend to have this we tend to fall back on this like just you know sit back on your heels clench your you know your your fists and your shoulders up and just scream and if we just release that tension and share our stories and listen empathically to other people, I think, I fully believe that's the way that we can reach some understanding. And so I'm proud to know Ray. I'm proud that he's a North Carolinian now. He's from Virginia. But, uh, you know, we I saw a lot in common with him and, 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 and I, I look up to him. I look up to what he's done and how he shared his story and the impact he's had through the art of storytelling. I would like to have a similar impact one day. So Ray is a super compelling character and person and just genuine and earnest in his mission. And I'm proud to call him a friend now. So 
This is my conversation with Ray Christian, and I hope you love it. Well, uh, I appreciate you joining me today. I'm interested to to learn a little bit more about you. As when we connected, I uh, I saw that, that we have a lot of connections. This happens. This happens often. Um, and you know, as a flash forward, one of my th- favorite things about storytelling is the connections it creates. But I noticed that we have a lot of the same friends. Uh, we just had Kevin Allison uh, on the right. show, and I know that you spent some time with him. Maybe we'll hear about that today. Uh, but first and foremost, I just want to congratulate you because the, the article that I saw that, that really brought you to my attention, not knowing that we had all these uh, mutual right. friends, even though you were from North Carolina, was the, the Fulbright Award and that and yeah. the scholarship. So I just want to say big congratulations for that. And for those listening, what does that mean to you? Like what, what opportunity does that create for you? Well, what goes along with the, uh, that designation is the what the state department is allows me to travel globally uh to uh, teach faculty uh art centers around the world on behalf of the united states as an expert in a particular field now when it comes to storytelling the only categories for me were education and american studies as as possible uh areas of expertise and so I went with uh, education and with a specialization in, in narrative and oral history. Mm-hmm. So that almost created a new, a unique kind of feel uh, with, as a Fulbright fellow. So what it's saying is, is that you're an expert in that field and that you get to travel globally. Of course, right now the, with the pandemic, all that kind of travel is, uh, kind of shut down yeah. you have the option to say what country specifically you'd like to work in uh, but uh, I also had the option to say uh, you'd go anywhere and so I decided I'd go anywhere um, that that was needed and as far as what it means to me personally uh, the thing is you're to say you're competing uh, would be an understatement. Uh, usually the, the professors, uh, the people who get these positions say, uh, if it's in the arts, they're probably 30, 40 plus years in the arts or the academic qualifications require you to have the, whatever the terminal degree is in that field. Uh, usually a university will put full, their full weight and support behind one of their professors uh, application towards something like it's good for the professors, good for the university. Sure. You see a lot of Professor Emeritus uh, getting recognized as a Fulbright specialist because uh, you're actually teaching, you know. But I didn't have that. I did not have the backing of a university, any formal backing in that way. It really just came to me because another storyteller who's a, a tenured professor mentioned it to me, said this might be something you want to look at. So what it means to me to be accepted was the fact that the chair of experts said that I was an expert among experts and that the recognition among a group of people might be um, tenured professors from Harvard or Yale or, you know, it's the same pool of people. It's still unbelievable. I'm still kind of soaking it in. Uh, (laughs) Most of my friends, the people I grew up with, 
you know, they don't even know what it means. Right, right, right. You know? So it's like it, its impact is kind of limited depending on who you talk to. My kids are not impressed. Right, right. I okay. was, sir. I'm here to say right. that I read it and I was impressed. You uh, were, but... you were three people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah y'all. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's from North Carolina. Oh my God. Is that what he? And he's from North Carolina. Oh boy, I was, I was. That was the thing. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, I love this already. Uh, but it's funny that you say that. It reminds me of my family. My family family still doesn't know <laughs> what I do for a living. And we have this joke because one time it was maybe Christmas or Thanksgiving and we got talking about different things. My mom and my brother are business owners. My brother was just like, what is it that you do? Yeah. <laughs> we just laugh because they, they still don't fully understand. So I hear you on that point of like, they're, they're proud of you. I'm sure they're proud of you because yeah, they see probably you. working for the mafia or something, which is shady. <laughs> yeah. You selling ideas to people right. uh, i'm a storyteller <laughs> oh yeah i tell stories exactly <laughs> oh my goodness so so let me understand this correctly though um with this fellowship is it so you will be teaching educators is that right faculty and uh, administrators the art of storytelling right or no. More, yeah. Yes, but I would say more deeply to get more buy-in from these people. I, I, mm. I had to also suggest that what I'd be teaching them is how to make global connections Oof. using using narrative. Okay. You Let's know? pause. Yeah. Let's dive into that. I love that. And and this reminds me. So, um, I have a friend. You're familiar with uh, the Full Frame Film Festival? Sure. Here? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, I have a friend. Now they have a Teach the Teachers program. And a friend of mine who was a teacher and educator helped uh, create that program because she used documentary filmmaking in her in her syllabus, like in her curriculum. Um, I think that she just did that on her own. Now she she educates educators, but she helped them build that program of how to use documentary narrative in in your curriculum. Specifically, she was teaching middle school kids, so it was impactful sure. to use that as a that medium as a learning tool. So let me ask you that: like, why, you know, why would storytelling be an effective tool for education? Ah, so this is this is a common question, and it's something I had to convince the Fulbright Committee of. I'm sure. The first thing you got to do is you got to get buy-in from academics, especially if they're from the uh, non-human sciences, <laughs> you know, the non-social science people, people who study rocks and stones and things that don't move or think. All important stuff. Um, so I start with this. I start with uh, how we do research. First of all, there are some things in the world that can't be measured numerically, like the lived human experience. Mm. This is where uh, qualitative research comes into play to get the, to the nuances of that. And officially in research, we use case studies. You see that in law, anthropology, and medicine, et cetera, et cetera. We use narrative to write biographies uh, about people to get their truths. We use ethnography to get the stories about cultures of people. Uh, we use phenomenology to study why events occur within human communities. So that is what I use to start off where we're coming from, from an academic perspective. And in its simplest, most basic form, people have been telling stories probably for about 500,000 years since we emerged out of Africa. Written history is only about 10,000 years old. 
you know, long before people started creating uh, tales and folklores and bigger than life universal stories, people were telling uh, personal stories. We have to make assume that because you don't have to be literate to do this. Great point. The, the bar to entry uh, for telling stories is very low. Unfortunately, there's a difference between telling a good story and a bad story. That, that's where the, uh, the line is coming. You know, you want us to learn from what happened today. Get to the point. You got to get to the point because the only limitation on stories is time. We don't have time. Uh, we don't have the light. We don't have the energy. You get to the point. What is your story? A bad storyteller doesn't communicate effectively. Don't eat this. It made half my tongue fall off because you're going around in circles. A good storyteller, look, I grabbed this thing, put it in my mouth, ah, tastes nasty. I got you. <laughs> you know, so now we have fire, we have a light, we, we can separate our time, we can think more, and our thoughts evolved, you know. So that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, when I go across the water, I'm trying to convince academics. Uh, that storytelling is important. And then we start talking about technique, methodologies, and stuff like that after you get the buy-in. So that's how I had to bring the two together. Mm-hmm. Why would an academic care? And uh, the theater, the arts of, of storytelling itself. Um, I had to explain that a lot of uh, stu- international students who come to this country, they're, this country being the United States, are the best of the best, the filtering process and, and a lot of uh, developing countries especially, or whether huge populations like you might find in Asia. Uh, I mean, you're talking about the best of the best of the best. But what's missing when every student has a 4.0, every student's got, got a recommendation from the Supreme Court justice and the president, every student's got the same good name, what separates you? Only your lived human experience. You're all the same without your story. That's what I'm teaching, and that's what I'm hoping to spread abroad with the Fulbright. That's what it's given me an opportunity to do is sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all the same except for your story. That is that's a it. mean line, sir. That is that is lovely. I love that. So let's. I want. I got to learn a little bit more about how you got here. You know, I know you're from Richmond, so. I still, you know, consider that it's, you know, the, the South, you know, uh, to, to me. So I feel like there's some similarities uh, maybe in, in, in the area that we grew up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in North Carolina and Eastern North Carolina. Um, is this a part of your, was this, and I mean, storytelling, a part of your upbringing? Is this something that you did as a child? Did you, was your family storytellers? Like what? At what age you, did, did this thing become a part of your life? Not professionally, but, you know, as, as a child, was this a part of your life or something that you fell into later? Oh, I would say informally. Uh, I was hearing stories all my life. And my parents were, were both illiterate. Not that that was super common where I grew up. They were maybe unusually illiterate compared to maybe uh, some places, but where there were a lot of people like that who were very, very poorly or undereducated. Mm-hmm. And um, they communicate in story and tale. But of course, so I'm growing up in the 60s and 70s, and you're hearing a lot of stories. 
And, you know, there are fun stories, there are competitive stories, but the, the thing is, they're the stories they're teaching you to survive kind of stories. Mm. Every school teacher I ever knew, every old person, they all grew up in Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. All of them, every single one without exception, right? Because that's just the era I was growing up. So their stories were all the same. Mm. You hear these stories of horror and then you could get kind of a group trauma. It doesn't have to happen to you. Hearing somebody talk about somebody being lynched is enough to scare the hell out of you. So okay. you got stories like that. Um, probably I lived in a community of, uh, of great liars and exaggerators too. Uh, people talk a lot when they're bored. And <laughs> this, this turned out to even be more magnified in terms of my understanding. Um, talking about it as growing up, it was just a regular thing. I saw it as not a thing. But when I joined the army and I left home and I was surrounded by uh, men and women from like all over the world, basically. I mean, I met guys who grew up on islands in the Pacific their whole life, Guam, truck. Uh, I met people who grew up in the Philippines, guys who grew up in the mountains, uh, surfer dudes from California. Uh, <laughs> This may seem weird. I got to throw this in before I forget about it. A, a story that's, that I've heard seven times while I was in the Army is about uh, somebody who was uh, raised, was lost, or abandoned in a carnival and basically raised themselves. I've heard that story about seven different times. <laughs> to tell you, I don't want to say people who come into the ability are depraved, but there are certain <laughs> stories because you meet a lot of people from very... People can be poor or working class from a variety of places I, I couldn't appreciate. Mm. Uh, big city, small cities, little city, different dynamics of what poor and middle class is and why upper class guys think joining the military and running away is some radical, <laughs> you know, when you're poor, you're going like, you did what? Right. So, right. you know, so you meet a lot. And, but here's the thing. When you're bored, when you spend a lot of time doing nothing, up at night, on guard duty, doing some kind of details, ain't but one thing to do in the rain and the snow, and that's to tell stories. So when you're around a lot of different people, a lot of different people got a lot of different styles mm -hmm. and a lot of different ways. And so if a company is 120 people, you're going to have five or six guys that are like super good. Don't let us come in contact with another company, another organization. Then it's almost like the battle of the, the who got the best dude with the best stories, where there's some people you go like, Frank, come over here, come over here, come over here, come over here. Tell, tell this dude. And you would, hear, you would hear these great stories, guys who had great accents, you know. So it was like the cream of the crop of storytellers. It was hard in the army to come up with your little bullshit story. <laughs> you talk about war stories. I'm in the army. You got dudes that got real. You know, there were guys who were Korean War vets. Uh, there were guys with Vietnam vets in every other conflict. So you had all kind of, and I was a paratrooper. So that ups the level of you got to be kidding me stories, right? <laughs> Oh, there I was, mm. knee deep in grenade pins, and it's surrounded by the enemy, you know. Uh -uh. 
your story. You know, there's the bullshit and there's the real. Yeah. You know, and you, so it's a story world and it's a story world where people will look at you with a side eye. So 20 years I'm in the army listening to stories, being filtered, trained, honed, you know, because the audience is just so, what do you got? Yeah, I've heard I've heard that one before. <laughs> so when I got out of the army, so think about the fact I grew up in a ghetto. I joined the army. I was in the army twenty years as a paratrooper. I got out and I got involved in academics. Well, so what was that trend like? What was your first job in academics? Well, uh, the first job, well, teaching. I was teaching. I was. Uh, I was an archivist historian for, for a little while. Okay. Uh, and I was teaching at the same time. Right. Then I started teaching more history. And okay. uh, are these skills you developed while in, while in the army? No, no, no. You know, I didn't even, uh, when the whole time I was in the army, I didn't have any college education at all. Gotcha. For, for those, uh, for those, uh, for that period of time, mm -hmm. you know, and the reason why I'm skipping around it just to just explain one particular thing. People used to say uh, when they would meet me that you certainly have a, your life is unusual, mm. but don't connect. Wait a minute, what's the academic thing? Wait a minute, I thought you said you grew up in the ghetto. Wait, you was in the army? Yeah. Uh, and, and so they don't connect. And so people would say, man, you got, you've had a weird life, a strange life or whatever. It's not strange when you're living in it because you're surrounded by other people <laughs> who are, and you think it's ordinary. Right. So I never, I never gave any thought to it. But being told that a lot, I started listening to stories on the radio, uh, mm -hmm. the, This American Life, the Moth, what, whatever I was out there, when that started to emerge, you know, and the, and the emergence of podcasts, I started listening mm -hmm. and hearing more stuff about more stuff mm -hmm. all the time. And, and I, realizing that, that maybe that you had- People are telling stories that I'm going like, hey, that happened to me. Oh, that happened to me five times. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know somebody that happens to because, you. Know, second person and third person stories. Bro. Because when you're in the army, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure you weren't thinking about it in like a technical form. Like you were telling the stories, but you weren't sitting there looking at it as an outside perspective. Like, oh, this is what's happening. We we are telling stories, and they are right, structured right. very well, and that you know the, all that sort of technical no, stuff. No, you were no. living it, right. But you know, being on the other side of the mm -hmm. wall, you know, like now I'm able to, to analyze it, yeah, break it down. But there's a point though in, in the, the actual art the presentation of stories where all these technical things take the magic out of stories. So I don't I try not to cross the two. I only talk That's about the, the, the academic stuff in terms of achieving buy-in for people who might be cynical from the start. Right. You know, I don't go that tough with it. You know, I, I present that in a much softer way. Understood. Let's play, let's get through the academic part, you know, see that we're grounded. Now, will you listen to me talk to you about the, the present, you know, how you can sure. do this, improve this and improve that. Because some, some people or that audience needs that. Yes. I would never do that to everybody. People who come to listen to stories for their enjoyment don't need that lecture. Right. You know, that would be. It would be insane. But yeah, later on, I begin on the other side of the wall. Like, but well, yeah, when you're in it, because I've always said, uh, you live the life first. Mm -hmm. 
then you talk about it. So I had an advantage when formally I've only been involved in storytelling seven years. And if somebody says that's not a long period of time, but I spent 30 yeah, yeah. years <laughs> collecting the stories, yeah, collecting the story, this mound of material yeah. and, you know, and three graduate degrees trying to understand what it all means. Mm. So, yeah. you know, podcasts are becoming popular. Things like the moth mm-hmm. where, you know, radio hours where you're hearing people telling these stories and essentially, you know, saying, not that that's nothing, but like, oh, you know, these people are telling these stories and people are listening. You know, I've got a ton of great stories to tell. So what was the what was the transition? What was the moment when you were like, what if I did this? What if I went out on stage and publicly told these stories, not just to my friends or my, uh, you know, people in the in the army with me? Right. So. When I first started thinking I might want to try this the level of rejections I was getting was pretty high. I mean, what was the reason though? Why, why did uh, you- the, the classic reasons, uh, your story, uh, uh, lacks narrative arc. Your story lacks character development. Your story is not appropriate for okay. this venue. What do you mean? We don't <laughs> understand. Uh, try something else, but no. Now, what was the reason that, um, or what did you hope to get out of it? When you're sitting there and, and understandably, like you you know that you have great stories to tell, was there a purpose behind it, uh, behind pursuing these and starting to pitch these story ideas? I, I just thought that I had a story that was different than the ones I was hearing. It's like, mm-hmm. or, and then I've started coming to the conclusion after I got up to about 30 pitches, mm-hmm. uh, Nobody wants to hear my story, uh-huh. you know, and uh, I listen to them, you know, it's not happening. Mm. So I did make one last attempt to uh, to pitch a story. But the, what the difference was going to be, I was just going to speak in the language and the tone and the quality that I that, that I remember, just like I was talking to one of my friends. Mm. I wasn't going to write it super well. I was just going to take some notes to myself and just say what the hell I was thinking about something really awful that I went through when I was a kid. And if this story doesn't work, then the hell with it. I mean, I, people don't want to hear my stories. So this was kind of a, like a kiss my butt kind of swan song. I'm giving it to you real. And, um, one show, the wrist show, Kevin Allison heard that, saw that story, and he went like, wow, man, yeah, I like that story. And as it turns out, they just happened to be coming to to uh, Durham, well, Chapel Hill to do a live show, and that was their first one in the area. And he liked the story, and he invited me to come, and I told that story. And uh, kind of went went over well, you know, and so and uh, was on the podcast, mm-hmm. and a senior producer from the Moth, uh, Jennifer Hickson, heard that story, and uh, she was like, you know, I can't put that can't be on the. Uh, We're a different kind of show. Moth, but she started asking me questions about my life, 
you know, how I grew up. And we kind of ended up, I had two, so many stories to tell her that we ended up crafting one story. And uh, within about a month, I told that story of the Moth main stage in Durham. Uh, and, that, and then from there, the, a lot of the places that I had pitched stories to previously, they were like, because I would connect the link to this story. Yep. They start accepting my pictures. Of course. Only and, takes and, one. Yeah, and then more and more. And uh, that's how, that's, that's the genesis. Now, yeah. when you were on stage there at, at risk, and that was that your first time uh, yeah. telling a story on stage? What, do you remember the, the feelings? Like, what, how did that feel for you? You know, having this thought that maybe I could do this too, getting a ton of rejection of people basically smothering that thought in your head. Right. Now you're up there. And I'm, I'm sure it wasn't as great as, as you are now, but, but what are your thoughts? Do you remember any emotions that you were going through or reactions from the audience? Uh, how, how did it feel? Nervousness, but the, uh, at some point when I started telling this story, I had the sensation that the, uh, that the audience was with me. Mm. And uh, it's something I've developed over time since then. But at that point, it was like, I could start to not be as stiff in the telling of the story. I wouldn't have to be as scripted. I could just say what I was thinking as those little bursts occurred to me while I was telling the story. And I started doing that throughout the story and they were just like feeding on it. And I was, I was feeding them. They were feeding me. And, uh, that, that, that was, uh, yeah, but nervous. What Which I you... always, I always get nervous. Yeah, yeah, that's something I've I've told to people too. It's like that never really goes away. You just yeah, as you get more experience, you work through it more easily, right? right. Um, what did you learn from that first performance, or how did it change the way you approach stories uh, in the future, or change your thoughts on on storytelling? Was there something you took away from that first performance, whether it's you know the feedback from the audience or your own performance that changed how you approach that movie? I knew that. I knew that I could do it. And I knew that uh, speaking to people live is really different than uh, recorded mediums because the, the crowd can change. Well, I learned to change my pacing or, or the story in the ways that, that flowed with the audience mm -hmm. mm. as opposed yeah. to having the audience change for me. If you went to any bad recitals, or if you've, if you've been a parent, you've been, you know, you love your kid, but it's hard to listen to 10 other, you did, you know, it's a parent thing. It's a parent thing. We love all children. Let me say that first of all, but, but as a parent and you got little ones, if you, if you've ever been through some really some, some, some recitals, if you've seen kids run off the stage, cry, you know, you, you sit through that, but your baby is the best one. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. <sighs> it's got <laughs> that's so true it's so funny so yeah, yeah. i like that idea though it's like you're it's a dance you're doing with the audience and not like uh working against them so I, right I like right right not working against them trying to force them to adjust to you yeah you know, that's the kid analogy you know because you do your own thing there to be appropriate mm -hmm. you know but rather you you know they could kick back i'm doing what you're doing almost you know mm -hmm. i'm but I, that's a performance thing. And that's something, Definitely. there's something academic to be said about that as well. But the performing 
stories is a lot different than writing stories. A common uh, kickback I would get against my stories was uh, your story is very literate. It's very literate, but we can't use it. And I've had to talk to lots of uh, producers and editors to, to kind of break down. What is that exactly yeah. do you mean by that? And it's just kind of shorthand for your story is well written. Uh, this were an academic piece in an English one-on-one class, it would be an A. But as a piece of performance art, it sucks. Oh, got it. Uh, there, and uh, if you've seen any book readings, you know that there are great authors who, if you were supposed to be interested by hearing them read their own material, you wouldn't be. So, so are, there is a performance element that's not related to writing at all. What are this some, is what I started getting out of it, that I write differently. Yeah. To help me. It's, I know it's, it would, if someone was reading it, and you know what, may know what I'm talking about, when you have notes to yourself. For you sure. know, where you're trying to tell yourself to do different things. People were live, looking at that and trying to read it. Wouldn't sound like much of a speech. You know, it would be all cryptic and strange sounding because I need to tell myself something about things about how I walking, presenting the story to people orally. Mm. So that's different. If I was writing you a letter, I would write it much differently. Um, so that's what I learned. Are, are there certain things with telling a story in person, certain elements, I should say, that, that, make, that make it better or more powerful when you're telling it in person? Are there certain tools and tactics that you would use versus if I was writing a story that, that you can pinpoint? Is it uh, so sound look, effects? Is it emotion? Is it, you know? Good, good writers, the very best writers, mm -hmm. uh, put people in a position where they can interpret their words and their lettering. A uh, series of dots to indicate pause, or maybe even the word pause. You know, I'm not an expert on writing, but I know that good books that I have read have some elements in the writing to let you know what the emotional tone uh, of what's going on is happening. There are other good books I've read, more academic in nature, they have no tone. Mm -hmm. They have information. They are telling you about falling in love but there's no, there's no tonal quality to it. When you're telling these stories in person, pauses mean something. Uh, the, the grit in your voice has emotional meanings to other human beings. There's things we've learned over a long period of time, why the tone of certain instruments and words and animals make you cry, get your attention. Word on paper can't duplicate that the scratchiness in a crying mother's voice. You know, the sound that you get when you're really excited. Your uniqueness, you know, the rawness of your your, your human self. Uh, that's not written. Again, the great writers achieve this, obviously, but most of us cannot. But oral expression is something we can do. And that varies too. Most people will shy away from instinctively from being natural because their natural self, they might feel is inappropriate for the environment. They may be embarrassed by their naturalness that you may not sound smart. You may not sound academic. You may sound flippant, whatever. If you're a good actor and you have that talent and that skill, you do that. Good, that's what actors do. That's their skill set. 
Most people are not good actors. So you have to be more natural. And kind of training people to be natural in of itself is difficult, especially if the more learned they are. Children, the younger you are, a lot easier, a lot easier audience. Uh, Because you almost have to stop them from doing it anyway. Stop being yourself and tell a story like this, Susie. You know, so it's a lot easier with younger people, a lot more difficult as you go up. I probably went on too much for no, that's great. There's some great bits in there. I know, I appreciate it. That's the good stuff. That's that's the good stuff. I appreciate it, and my my, uh, listeners will as well. So, the risk show happens, right? Now, you start getting people that had just you know turned you away in the beginning, like, oh, someone else accepted him, maybe we should take a second look. Uh, how long ago was that? That would be seven years ago. Seven, okay, yes. You mentioned that. You've been doing this for seven years. So what's been happening since? I know that, you know, you've won the moth several times. This right. has become a huge part of your life, if not the biggest part of your life, right? What has that journey been like, and where has that journey been leading? So one of the directions that took me to doing a different kind of storytelling was uh, with uh, the show Snap Judgment. Mm-hmm. Now. It's a storytelling show. Glenn Washington hosts the show. They call it storytelling with a beat. Um, the big difference with them is, is most of the stories that I've done with them on Snap Judgment and the Spook Podcast are, are stories that I've had to do in the studio. Mm-hmm. I did do the 2018 Snap Judgment Live Tour with a band. Totally totally different thing another skill set i had to learn with you know you know you know with the moth i'm just standing at the mic with snap judgment it's like a band you know that they're rocking back there and my movements make the music change you know and there's lights in my face and i had to learn that was but the studio turned out to be more nerve-wracking and the highest probably put the most in me as far as training me um so you're in the studio you think you're going to tell your story the way it's crafted but that's not how it works they could just as you know that could be one take but what's happening is you start telling the story and somebody's asking you your your questions you know like so what does that mean what happened after that you know this is the same style this american life uses you don't hear that you can't hear that on the other end when the farmer you know when the spacecraft lands in the field they just go well, I don't know. At first, I was thinking it was, was it an alien? I don't know. Did I think it was going to hurt me? No, he's just not saying that. It's somebody, you know, talking to him, but I like audio. So I don't know this initially. So it became grueling because it's like, could you say that again? Could you say that again? Could you say that again? Could you say it like this? But I learned. Hmm. So if I'm in an episode of Snap Judgment and I'm telling a story that maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes long, that may have taken, you know, eight hours, you know, of studio time. So that was different, but it did up my, my, my game because if you've ever heard Snap Judgment, uh, you've listened to any stories on Snap Judgment, they are highly produced, um, sound effects, uh, audio design and, and, uh, soundscapes are just amazing you know and it takes it takes a simple story it takes it to a whole another space 
And so that was a learning curve that I, um, I'm glad I, I did. And getting into the spooky story genre uh, was, was really cool, too. And uh, they gave me an opportunity to do that with Snap Judgment. And they won a couple of awards. See, the big guys win the awards. Storytellers don't get no awards, man. <laughs> so that, that happened. Uh, more opportunities to do, like, festivals and music, uh, music shows. Uh, I don't know, a couple dozen radio interviews, and uh, are you are you still working in education at this point, or what's? I'm not teaching this semester. You know, I'm changing my focus. You know, right now. But throughout this uh, rise in your story yeah, 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 opportunities, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been you've been still holding down the nine to five. Be, yeah, still probably be teaching. I've been teaching at App State for probably seventeen years. What's the? What are the? Uh, what do you teach there? I was teaching African American history and storytelling. Mm. So, you know, that was the last class I taught there last year. Yeah. Maybe next, when I get out of here, I'll be back over there. And that storytelling course, what was the focus of that? Well, then what it accumulates, well, we talk about the history of storytelling lightly, um, how storytelling is used um, in academics, mm -hmm. different types of stories, uh, emotions and stories, folklores. Um, and then really, really, and they hear a story every class, but really the end of the class, the final project is every student is required to tell their life story. That's the last part. But we lead up that to that from the very beginning of the course where I tell students to start telling their story and they won't do it. They can't do it. They say they don't have a story. And we kind of work through that over a period of weeks you know, at least once a week where everybody starts talking about stuff when they're very young. And almost always, without any exception, if the student's parents were to hear the stories that they tell, they would kill themselves. And I say that to the class all the time. Why this is a very, this thing you just told me is very simple. Parents, Adults seem to think that children don't know stuff, even though we've done the same stuff to our own parents. They see you. They know stuff like they know about outside kids. They know about affairs. They know the stuff because auntie and grandma talk too much. They hear arguments. They got the greatest ears. They learn to turn their heads. And these things to the kids are just blow off. Doesn't change the love for the parent. It's, it's nothing like that. But that starts the stories. Then we work up through school, you know, and then we work up to like where they are now. And so by the time we get to the end, the students so know each other, mm -hmm. so love each other, so intimate with each other. When we do the finals, often when the students leave the classroom, about half of them are crying. Mm -hmm. People in the hallways will see this and go, man, what kind of <laughs> class is that? What the hell is what this this teacher must be an a real asshole? Right, right, right. <sighs> you know, so that's 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 the kind of class it is. You know, so for for those people who storytelling isn't as big of a part of a of their lives as it is yours and mine, uh, which you know I'm sure, or you know, some of the students even if they took that storytelling course. Why is that important for people to understand their life story and, and understand how to tell it? Is that, do you think that's important for all, for humans to know how to do? And if so, why? 
the better you can tell your story, the better people will understand you. Mm. I mean, if you're looking for empathy, if you're trying to create fear, good or evil, you're trying to tell them the story so they know who you are. For whatever person, I'm a nice person. How do I know that? Because I do nice things. Here's my nice thing story. We do it without thinking about it. You know, breaking it down like this makes it seem so static, you know, because you're not consciously thinking about it, but you're always putting your best story forward. People don't intentionally tell bad stories. Um, you do it because maybe you're not so good at it for several reasons, or most commonly, I don't want you to know me, or I'm not ready for you to know me. And people don't say that, but that's the greatest amount of hesitancy. I know I got a, I got a facade I'm trying to hold out there. I'm not telling you my story. Mm. You know, I'll smile, say, tell you where I work. You know, I, you know, I'll tell you the stuff that you can find on my resume, but you're not going to go any deeper into the why of nothing when people want to do that. And these people tend to be not very good storytellers. Sure. Well, I don't want you to know who I am or not even be interested in storytelling, you know, so that exists. So I know, I know you have a podcast now. Um, what is your goal today or now and moving forward with, with storytelling? And now that you've become as proficient as you have been, now that you've gotten this notoriety that you, that, that you have and opportunity, what is the way in which you, 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 you know, plan to use storytelling to, to shake the world, to, to make impact. What is your, what's your purpose with it moving forward? So the podcast uses uh, history, black history, um, narrative storytelling, and my own personal opinion and commentary to explain the black experience from a unique perspective. And that perspective is mine. Uh, having grown up in a ghetto with illiterate parents, uh, moving solidly into the middle class in the conservative environment of the military, transitioning from that into the serious liberal environment of academics. Um, I use that perspective to explain things. Now in a unique way in my podcast, I try to answer those questions my white friends have posed to me some seriously, some cynically, and some I heard from other people over my entire lifetime that intuitively I thought I had an answer, but academically I had no response. And one of the sparks to doing this was I once saw a YouTube video where some supporters of Confederate flags and Confederate monuments were, were yelling at this group of black students, you know, and they were yelling at the kids, telling them, first of all, you don't even know your history. And they was blabbing off some, some, some propaganda. And I was ready for these kids, these young college students to just snap on them, you know, and kick it. And they didn't because they couldn't because they actually didn't know enough that they didn't have the knowledge themselves to even fight back. So what the podcast does, those kind of questions would be like, here are the kind of questions I've been asked. Why do black people look the way they do? Why do they come in so many colors, so many shades? Mm. Uh, why do they speak that way? Why do they sound differently than white people? 
How come those who go to school sound different than this like this? These are those little subtle questions I've been asked that, that the podcast gets into. Why do the police do this to black people? Where does it come from? How far does it go back? Black naming pra- practices. Why do black people have names that sound like this and sound like that and come from here? And there? I get into that. Why do black people live in these places? Why a lot in the South? What's the difference between living in California? Um, you go on and on and on. Origins of slavery, what slave life was like, black leadership, all these things. Unlike other podcasts where you could get uh, you could get the regular historic overview. In my mm-hmm. podcast, after I give you the overview, I give you real life story from my life, not other people's lives that reflect on that theme of the podcast. And so I give you the historical overview and then I get into stories. I use my life for examples or examplers of that particular theme that I'm talking about, how that affects everything that's happening to me today, the past to here. Why do I look this way? Mm -hmm. I can go all the way back in time to take you right up to, after I give you the history, to how my physical appearance has affected my life. So if I talk about the police historically, then I'll reach all the way to the present to how it's affected my life. Mm-hmm. Food, black cooking ways, um, uh, dying while black, how historically blacks were treated when they died, the history of that all the way up to what that meant in my life. So that's, you have the opportunity to tell my life stories from all these little nuances answer all the questions my liberal friends my black and white friends i was trying to make the point that my black and white friends ignorant and i mean ignorance and and uh, not knowing having the, the factual evidence and i get it what it means in your heart to feel intuitively that something is right and something is wrong but on all those topics i give you historic evidence and sociological evidence to back up all the way right up to why we name those names where they come from why we live in those places. So to give you, who always felt in your heart that this was right or this was wrong, here it is, I'm giving you the evidence. And maybe a group of kids won't be sitting at one of these monuments getting chewed out by some revisionist history guy when they could easily refute it, but they don't know how. Hmm. They don't have the, the academic understanding. Or you're white and you don't, you don't have a black friend that you can pose those questions to. Or you're not comfortable. You know, you're, you're trying to be cool, but you ain't trying to just bust out with no question. You know, well, why don't black people, could you, you just don't do that. You right. come to my podcast and I'll answer those questions. Mm. I didn't mean to pitch the podcast. No, uh, this is what we're here for. What's, it, what, what's the name of the podcast again? What's Ray saying? What's Ray saying? You know what I love about all that, Ray, is that you totally brought it back to a, a concept that you established in the beginning of this conversation, which is your unique lived human experience like that's the gel all this information you're giving uh is one thing but the thing that will make it stick hopefully with those people those young people perhaps is this real lived unique human experience that you're delivering that information through it seems and that's the powerful powerful part about it and uh and why i think it would be really impactful so no take your time and pitch it because i think that's a, a great method to to use um, and probably a good place for us to end because that just just sums it up right there. And I appreciate that. Um, 
you know, it's a weird year for all of us, especially people who do things live. Um, is there anything coming up in the future that you're focused on that you're excited about? I know you have the fellowship and the, and the Fulbright award. And I know that's kind of like not, a super whole, right? Like most things right now, like, every, like everything. I'd so say weird, that. man. So, so is there something that you, that you, you're working on that you're excited about that we can look forward to in 2021? Oh, one of the things is the release of a whole new episode of What's Ray Saying. And hopefully I'll have a surprise supporter for this podcast. What I've been hoping for, but I don't want to, I don't want to say that right now, but yeah, you stay tuned. I just recently uh, was on an episode of Snap Judgment Mm -hmm. called The Talk check it out yeah we absolutely will and uh by the time this episode comes out maybe your um maybe your information will be able to be released then i can include it in the intro and and in the blog so hey thank you so much uh for taking the time this i knew this would be fun but this was a real pleasure and whenever things do get back to normal you know we're not far away so hopefully we can cross paths in real life and maybe break bread together one day soon sounds great all right ray i appreciate your time have a great day brother Take care. Bye-bye. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.